Good morning. It's good to see all of you uh, together this morning. If you've got a Bible with you, let's go back to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9 is where we have, uh, we have been spending our time this December. And if you don't have a Bible and you'd like to follow along with us, there are Bibles in the chair racks in front of you. And if you don't know where to find things in the Bible, that's okay. We've got people each week who aren't very familiar with it. And so you can find Isaiah chapter 9 on page 573 of the Bibles that are there in the chair racks in front of you. A man by the name of Rocky Lockridge was one of the top super featherweight boxers of the 1980s. He uh, gave Floyd Mayweather's uncle, Roger, Floyd Mayweather, you know, he's the money team, uh, he gave his uncle Roger uh, his first defeat. He fought uh, the boxing great Julio Cesar Chavez and all, almost defeated him. He was an amazing boxer. But as much of a, as he was a champion in the ring, he was not a champion in his personal life. In fact, after boxing, his personal life totally fell apart. He had had, had plenty of money plenty of fame, anything he wanted, any time he wanted. And when he retired from boxing, he had become addicted to alcohol and addicted to drugs. And because of this addiction to alcohol and drugs, he lost his family. He became estranged from them. And not only did he lose his family, he lost his home. And for many years, he lived out on the streets, uh, sleeping on park benches or in abandoned buildings. He lost everything, including his family who who barely knew him. His boys grew up without him, did not even know what he looked like anymore. And his family decided to stage an intervention for him. And in this intervention, this was a last-ditch effort to try to get him clean, to turn his life around, to restore the broken relationships that had been lost. And one of the aspects of this intervention was his sons, his now grown sons, meeting him for the first time in many years. And meeting him for the first time in many years, each one of them had an opportunity to to say something to him. And one of the things that that one of his grown sons said to him As he looked at him for the first time in over 15 years, he said, I do not know who you are. He went on to describe that he had had seen his father on TV. He'd seen the videotape of what his father had done. He'd heard about the greatness of his father as a boxer. But as a son, looking at his father, he said, I don't know who you are. And this, this loss, this lack of knowledge about his father was so profound as he reflected on it, as he said, uh, because he, remember he hadn't seen him in, in many years, didn't even know what he looked like, he said, I spent the last 15 years of my life looking over my shoulder at every man that passed, wondering if it was you. I believe that each one of us has a built-in longing to know our Father. Some of you can identify with the story I've just shared. 
Some of you can identify with a father who has been gone or a father who's left. Some of you know what it's like to look around your hometown and wonder if perhaps that guy is him. Others of you who have lost a father early in life and have had a, a hole in your heart for the rest of your life dealing with that loss. Still others of you who have had a father in your life and yet that father who is in your life might as well not have been. He put food on the table and a roof over your head but you didn't feel like you knew him any more when you left home than you had when you started life with him. Every one of us has a longing inside to know our fathers, and there is profound pain when we don't. In fact, some of us have gone through the rest of our lives acting out that pain, experiencing the problems of fatherlessness, of of wondering about our father's love, of wondering even where our father is. It is into this need to know our fathers that this passage that we're going to be looking at speaks today. Many, many years ago, hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago, Isaiah, the prophet, spoke a word into the darkness. And that word he spoke into the darkness is a prophetic word, and I want to read just one verse from it that we've been looking at over the course of these past few weeks, from Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. The word that Isaiah spoke into the darkness was this, it's a promise that for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We have been doing our best to savor each of these titles over this month, taking them just one at a time and reflecting on what their significance is for us and for our lives and And today, the third title that we're going to be spending our time looking at together is that, this, Everlasting Father. His name shall be called Everlasting Father. The first half of this title is pretty straightforward. Everlasting means eternal. And that should no longer be a surprise to us as, it, as this coming child is described because every title that we've looked at up to this point has been a hint at or an outright statement of the divinity of this child would be, that would be born, the deity of this child who would be born. And so it should come to us as no surprise now that he would be described as an everlasting or an eternal father. Another way that that Hebrew word is is translated other times in your English uh, uh, Old Testament is the word forever. You could read that as our forever father. But that that isn't the aspect of this title that might be a little bit challenging to us. The thing that might be a little bit challenging to us is, is the other half. 
that the child who is born and the son who is given is described as father. One of the foundational, one of the fundamental beliefs or, or assertions of Christian theology is that, is that the one God exists in three persons. One essence in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. They've existed eternally. The one God has existed eternally in these three persons. And one of the things that, that, that is, is, is true about this is that there is a distinction between these persons. The Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Father. In fact, we made a handy little graphic that has been around for centuries to describe this. You can see it behind me. The Father is not the Son, nor is the Son the Spirit, nor is the Spirit the Father. However, each of the three are fully God. So the question is this, did Isaiah not have access to our graphic? He didn't. Isaiah did not have access to our graphic. Did Isaiah miss something in his prophetic seminary degree where he did not understand that there's a distinction between the three persons of the one God? What is, what is going on here is, is he accidentally asserting a Trinitarian heresy? Of course, none of those things are true. When Isaiah is using this title, Eternal Father, he is hinting at a truth that is going to be unpacked as Scripture unfolds in greater detail. And it is unpacked in no greater detail than in the Gospel of John. In the beginning of your New Testament, there are four books that you could refer to as biographies of Jesus. They're called Gospels, but they're like biographies. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in John's Gospel, he tells us this at the very beginning of it, at the very outset. He says this in chapter 1 and verse 18. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Isaiah was hinting in this, I believe Isaiah was hinting at, at this thing that's going to be unpacked in John's gospel, this truth that, that I want to share with you this morning. Jesus is the perfect revelation of the Father. Isaiah is not asserting a Trinitarian heresy, confusing them. He's hinting at what the Bible unfolds in its fullness in greater detail, that Jesus, as John says at the very beginning of his biography, when he says that Jesus has made him known, Jesus is the perfect revelation of the Father. So as we explore this, which I'd like to do from the book of John this morning, I'd like to explore this idea in greater detail. I would like to do that by asking three important questions. And if you're a, a note taker, I'm going to say them quickly right now, but I'll repeat them later so you don't have to catch it all in one shot. Three questions that I want to ask here. Number one, what makes Jesus the perfect revelation of the Father? Number two... 
how is Jesus the perfect revelation of the Father? Or, or how does Jesus perfectly reveal the Father? And then the third question I want to ask is why does Jesus reveal the Father? Okay, so that gives you a roadmap of where we're going in the time that we have together. There's three questions that we are going to press upon John's gospel for answers. Number one, then, first question, what makes Jesus the perfect revelation of the Father? And I believe that John suggests at least three answers to that question of what makes Jesus the perfect revelation of the Father. Here's the first answer. Number one, he was sent by the Father. He was sent by the Father. The Bible says this in John chapter 8 and verse 42, Jesus said to them, if God were your Father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here I came not of my own accord, but he, the Father, sent me. Now I thought, I wonder how many times John's gospel uh, records Jesus asserting that he was sent by the Father. And so I did a little bit of an informal count and I counted 40 times. 40 times in John's gospel, Jesus declares that he was sent into the world by the Father. Now Hebrews chapter 1 picks up on this because Hebrews chapter 1 tells us that God has in many times, many ways, through various different people, has, has spoken, but in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. And His Son, He says, is the radiance of the Father's glory and the exact imprint of His nature. So when Jesus says that he has been sent to reveal the Father, what we have before us is one sent to reveal the radiance of the Father's glory and one who is the exact imprint of his nature. The Father has chosen in these last days to reveal himself in the most ultimate way through the Son. Number two, there's a second reason why Jesus is the perfect revelation of the Father, and it's this in the second place. He has seen the Father. Jesus, the Son of God, has seen the Father. Now, think about the, the people in Scripture who have seen God. And that list is small. And what they've seen of God is even smaller because God is a spirit. He doesn't have a body, so we're not looking at physical features. But God has revealed himself in a variety of ways to a small number of people where they've been able to see a manifestation of his presence. And the, the person that's probably at the top of the list is Moses, right? Moses is the one that Bible says speaks to God face to face as if as if, if God had a face to speak to. It's talking about the closeness of Moses' relationship with God. If anybody had seen God, it'd be Moses. In fact, Moses one time asks God if he can see his glory, and God says this, I'll make a compromise with you. I'm going to hide you between these two boulders, between these two rocks, and I'm going to cover you with my hand, as it were, and I'm going to pass by in a, a display of my glory. And when I'm past, I'm going to remove my hand just a little bit so you can get a taste of it. 
And God tells Moses he's going to do that for this reason. He's got to do it that way because God says in Exodus 33, no human being can see my face and live. So what you're asking for is death. (laughs) Nobody can see my face and live. But Jesus is uniquely qualified to reveal the Father because he is the only one who has truly seen him. In John chapter 6, a crowd was arguing about Jesus' claim to be from above because they knew his mother and father. You know, you can claim all day that you're from above, that you've been sent by the Father, that you've seen the Father, but we know the names of your parents. We know their street address. We could mail them something if we felt like it. And Jesus responded this way in John 6, 46, not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Jesus is the perfect revelation of the Father because he is uniquely qualified by being the exclusive one to see the Father. What makes Jesus the perfect revelation of the Father? He was sent by the Father. He has seen the Father. And in the third place, John tells us that he is one with the Father. Jesus makes an astonishingly bold claim in John chapter 10 and verse 30. He stands in front of a crowd of people and with a straight face says, I and the Father are one. That's an incredible statement. Jesus was so unified in purpose with the Father that he could claim that he and the Father were one. And the crowd around him clearly understood the implications of Jesus saying, I am the Father and one are one. That's why there were all kinds of times when people who should have been very happy about Jesus being around and doing miracles looked around for rocks so they could throw them at him in an attempt to kill him. There's another place. Uh, there's another place in John that de- describes this. Jesus has just healed a man on the Sabbath, and everybody is up in arms that he has healed somebody, that he has dared to heal somebody in the Sabbath. And Jesus responds this way. The Bible says in John 5:18, "This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, which is bad enough. But he's even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus is uniquely and perfectly qualified to reveal the father because he has not come on his own accord. He was sent by the father. He is the only one who has truly seen the father. And he is one with the father, equal with the father. Now I want us to turn and ask the second question. How does Jesus, according to John's gospel, how does Jesus perfectly reveal the Father? What does that look like? And once again, I want to give you three answers to that question. How does Jesus perfectly reveal the Father? Number one, by speaking his words. By speaking the Father's words. 
If you've ever read through the Gospels, then you know that they are full of teachings from Jesus. In fact, some of you have Bibles in your hands that want to make it easier for you to find out the words that Jesus spoke by coloring them red. So if you flip through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if you thumb through that, unless you, uh, unless you didn't get, do I have a red letter edition? I guess I must be a red letter edition snob. I don't have that. But most of you probably have those red letters in your Bible, which are meant to highlight the words and the teachings of Jesus. We have all kinds of teachings of Jesus throughout the New Testament. You've got the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus gives countless parables of teaching. We have Jesus' recorded conversations with the people that he's healing, interactions with a woman at a well. We have Jesus' recorded conversations with his disciples. And people were, uh, the Bible tells us, astonished when Jesus spoke Because he spoke as one having authority, Matthew 7, and not as the regular teachers of the law. Jesus' teaching was accompanied by a different and obviously different level of authority. There is a measure of authority that I have as I preach to you today. A measure of authority that, that is limited exclusively by the truth of what goes with this book. But if Jesus was to show up And that would be fantastic if he did. (laughs) If Jesus was to show up this Sunday morning and ask for the microphone, which I would gladly give him, you would understand that Jesus was, was speaking with a level of authority that you would never have heard from me. He is, as God, is speaking the very word of God. Every every syllable I give you is broken by my own inabilities understand and communicate and know. But everyone recognized that Jesus spoke as one who had authority and not like the teachers of the day. Well, why did Jesus speak with such authority? Jesus answers that for us. John chapter 12, beginning in verse 49, he says, for I have not spoken on my own authority, but the father who has sent me has himself given me a commandment what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Jesus perfectly reveals the Father by speaking the words the Father gave him to speak. Secondly, Jesus perfectly reveals the Father by doing his works. By doing his works. Jesus was not simply a guru. Jesus was not simply a philosopher teacher who sat somewhere in an ivory tower and lectured on various philosophical topics. So he certainly did those things. Jesus got his hands dirty. Jesus got messy with the people that he taught. And the Bible records countless 
miracles of Jesus. In fact, John says this wonderful thing when you get, he writes this whole biography of Jesus. He includes all of these things in there of, of miracles that Jesus has done, these signs that are meant to encourage our faith that culminate in this raising of somebody from the dead. And then John gets to the end and he says, there are so many other things that Jesus said and did. I don't think that all the books in all the world would be able to contain them. You want to talk about a great closing line? John nailed it. You would not be able to fill all the books and all the libraries and all the bookstores and all the Kindles and all the world with the works that Jesus did. And Jesus taught us that the works he did were the Father's works. Have you ever thought about that when you read about the things that Jesus did, that Jesus is doing the Father's works? Well, again... Don't take my word for it. In John chapter 5 and verse 36, Jesus says, But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John, for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I'm doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. So Jesus' works were given to him by the Father to do and to testify that he was indeed sent by the Father. And so when we see Jesus teaching the, the multitudes who are going to have to be dispersed for a long walk home, Jesus asks, hey, have these, have these folks have any, had anything to eat? And his, and his disciples say, well, no. And I, I, it's, it's Sunday, so Chick-fil-A is closed. Jesus could have dismissed everyone and said, at the end of the day, it's not my job to make sure these people are, 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 are not hungry. It's my job to be a teacher. But Jesus says, do we have any food? And there's not much, but he turns that, that little bit into a miracle that feeds the multitude. And he's revealing the Father's works in that. When we see Jesus healing, he's, he's doing the works of his Father. When we see him raise the dead, we see, him, we see the Father at work through the Son. How does Jesus perfectly re reveal the Father? He does so by speaking his words, by doing his works... And in the third place, displaying his heart. One of the things that we as human beings need most from our fathers is an assurance of their love. And many of you, when I just say that, that's a painful thing to even say. It's a painful thing to even hear because, quite frankly, you're not sure. We need fathers for all kinds of things, but the idea that it's a father's job to put a roof over your head and clothes on your back, a meal on the table, and what more do you want? I've given you the stuff you need to live. Well, you've, not, you've given the stuff to live, but you haven't given the stuff to thrive. Because what we need from our fathers 
is an assurance of their love. And many of us have gone through the entirety of our lives wondering. Because our fathers never said it. Or they said it once, and that was supposed to get us through life, apparently. Or they weren't around. Or they said the exact opposite. But I believe John's gospel reveals that one of, one of the ways that Jesus perfectly reveals the Father to us is by displaying his heart. One of the things that the scriptures teach us is that God the Father has loved God the Son, and God the Son has loved God the Father and the Spirit as, as well with a perfect love, unbroken for all of eternity. There is an intra-Trinitarian love that is eternal and perfect and satisfying and good, unquestioned. And the Father wants us to experience that love. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 15 and verse 9. As the Father has loved me, same way the Father has loved me, so that should conjure up an eternity of perfect, unbroken, pure, good love. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. When Jesus was born in a stable so many years ago, you read that and when you see that, you need to realize he was revealing the Father's heart. When Jesus was concerned about the multitude had nothing to eat, he was revealing the heart of his Father. When there were people who were trying to bring their children to Jesus and his own disciples wanted to act as, as his gatekeepers, as his, as his PR team to make sure that there is a, a path big enough for Jesus to pass through. He's a busy man and Jesus rebuked them and said, no, you let those people bring their kids to me. I'm not too important for kids. You should see that as a revelation of the father's heart. When Jesus healed the woman who had been suffering from some sort of hemorrhage her entire life and she had spent every spare penny that she had going to every doctor she could to try to get this chronic issue fixed, when Jesus just in a moment healed her, he was revealing the Father's heart. When Jesus was stumbling on the road with the cross on his shoulder, he was displaying the Father's heart. You may not know. There may be some questions in your mind about your own father's heart towards you. But let there be no questions about your heavenly father's heart. Jesus has put it on display. That leads me to the third final question that we want to ask of John's gospel today. Why? Why? 
Why does Jesus reveal the Father? And this is the answer to this question is an answer that ought to blow your mind. It's, it's not a trick answer. It's not something that I'm going to say and you're going to be like, I've never thought of that before. But this answer ought to, to fill you with amazement again. It ought to draw you to worship again. And the answer is this. Jesus reveals the Father because the Father, believe it or not, wants to have a relationship with you. Speaks the words, does the work, is sent because he's seen. He does all of that, and I'm choosing my words carefully. I'm I'm choosing the word you over the word us to make sure that it's, it's properly personalized in your mind and heart. Because God the Father, the one who hid Moses between the boulders to just give him a glimpse of his glory because that father wants to have a relationship with you. John's gospel, I believe, teaches us three truths about the father's desire to have a relationship with us. Let me walk through them briefly. John's gospel first tells us that Jesus is the only path to a relationship with the Father. Jesus is the only path to a relationship with the Father. The good news of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus, the gospel is one of the most inclusive messages in the world. It is incredibly inclusive because it tells us that every single person on planet Earth, without exception of any kind, any kinds of the normal things that disqualify any of us in, any, in each other's minds, no matter what we've done or have failed to do or who we are, every single person can come to Jesus. So it's one of the most inclusive messages in the world. In fact, you don't even have to bring anything. In fact, don't bother, because you can't. Okay, so it's the most, in that sense, it's the most inclusive message in the world. But there is a sense in which it is also the most exclusive message in the world. It is the most exclusive message in the world because it tells us that no one can be in relationship with God the Father except through Jesus, through the Son, Jesus must not have been aware that 2023 would come and we would be allergic to doing anything exclusive. This is, these are words that are hard to, hard to hear in our culture today in which we believe that all roads are basically going to the same place. So roll your own, do it your own way. It's all going to work out the same for all of us in the end. And Jesus, who didn't know about that, unfortunately, said things like this in John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, the life, but there are other ways. 
Uh, no, he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. We come into relationship with God, not through a multitude of paths, but what Jesus called a narrow way. No one reveals the Father the way Jesus has done in these last days. And Jesus is the only path to that relationship that the Father desires with us. There's a second truth that John's gospel teaches about the Father's desire to have a relationship with us. It's this. The Father pulls people into relationship with himself through Jesus. Jesus says something incredibly important in John chapter 6 and verse 44. He says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Now, I'm not saying that, they're, they're, I'm not saying that each one of us feels like this. We're just, it's like we were in a current and just carried along, and boom, we, we, we found our way to Jesus. Okay, there are, there are a variety of different ways that, that we have come to faith in Christ that are represented in this room. Some of you have come to Christ because you hit absolute rock bottom and there was nowhere else to go. Some of you came to Christ at a very young age. You were taught from the time you were a baby. You were taught the stories and the songs and, and church. Some of you started out like that and went and had several detours along the way and have made your way back. Some of you dealt with some of the more philosophical questions of Christianity. And it took some research and some time as you considered the claims of Christ and the authority of Scripture and the, the reliability of Scripture or arguments for the existence of God. Some of you never thought any about, about that stuff. The very first time you heard it was like, that sounds good. I believe. There's a whole bunch of ways that this room of people has come to Christ, but none of those ways would have happened without the Father pulling you. Now, you didn't know that at the time, but as you were being drawn along magnetically to Christ because the Father so much wanted to have a relationship with you that he was, go was not going to leave it to you to figure out. If it's left to you to figure out, if it's left to me to figure out, we are in a heap of trouble. People come to Jesus because the Father pulls them. Okay, there's a third thing. We're, we're asking the question, why does Jesus reveal the Father? And the answer to that question is because the Father wants to have a relationship with you. And so the Father, Jesus is the only path to a relationship with the Father. The Father, Father pulls people into relationship with himself through Jesus. But the third Truth from John's gospel about the Father's desire to have a relationship with you is this. No person pulled into relationship with the Father through Jesus, I know that's a wordy point, is ever lost. No person pulled by the Father into relationship with him through Jesus is ever lost. Listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 10 and verse 28. He says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Okay? Layer of protection there. No one's going to snatch them out of my hand. 
And let's keep going. Why is that going to happen? Well, verse 29, my father who has given them to me, remember, he's the one that pulls. My father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. Layer number two of protection. Because I and the father are one. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? The Father is so determined to have a relationship with you that he is not leaving a single aspect of that desire to chance. The Father has ensured that you will certainly come to him and he has made sure that you will be protected in that relationship no matter what. Sports analogy coming for non-sports people. There's a sport called football. And in that sport, there's a football that gets handed to a guy who runs with that football. It's called the running back. And there are some fantastic running backs that have played. And all these great running backs that have have played, all of them, without exception, have fumbled the ball before. Some of the best running backs in the world who have ever played the game There are times when somebody comes up to tackle them and just punches that ball out of there. They're holding it a little bit away from their waist or something happens. They get flipped around three times and land on their necks, uh, but they fumble the football, even the best. But what Jesus is saying here is that I and the Father are one, and because, because I and your forever Father are one, you will never get fumbled. You are going to be protected. You are going to be safe. You are going to be secure in our hands. Because no person pulled into relationship with the Father through Jesus is ever lost. So Isaiah promised a son. And he said his name shall be called Everlasting Father. Forever Father. Jesus is one and the same with the God who, at the end of Isaiah, Isaiah characterizes with the one who inhabits eternity. Jesus the Messiah is one with the God who inhabits eternity and by the Father's own design is the perfect revelation of the Father. So let me say this. There's probably, because there always is, there's probably someone here this morning who does not have a relationship with the Father. There has never been a time when you have experienced what the Bible refers to as the new birth. Now maybe you're here this morning and you have a newfound clarity about why Jesus came. That's what sticks out to you, just a newfound clarity of why Jesus came. Or maybe you have had a newfound clarity that there are not many paths that while the message of the gospel is the most inclusive message you could possibly imagine, it is exclusive in the fact that no one comes to the Father through Christ. Or maybe you've simply been captured by this revelation of the Father's heart because we sometimes have this difference between the God in the Old Testament and the God, Jesus, in the New Testament. 
not realizing that, that Jesus is the perfect revelation of that God's heart. Regardless of what has struck you this morning, we want you to know the good news. The good news is that where you are sitting right now in your seat, regardless of what your relationship has been like with your earthly father, you can come into relationship with the heavenly father. The God of the universe who has existed eternally in three persons, sharing a perfect, pure love between those members of the Trinity for all eternity is inviting you into that. And you can be brought into relationship with the Father if you put your faith in Christ this morning, what he has done, and repent of the sins that have broken that relationship, and you can experience that Father's love. For those of us who are Christians, there are many people here who have had or are having a great relationship with your Father. You love him, and it's awesome. There are people here who are like Rocky Lockridge's sons, who have looked over your shoulder at every man passing, wondering if maybe that's him. Or maybe you're somewhere in between. What the word of God intends to say to you this morning is this. Jesus came, what we're celebrating this morning, the incarnation, the becoming flesh, the son of God, Jesus came because the Father wants to have a relationship with you. And Christmas is a reminder of the lengths to which God has gone to bring you into his family and share with you his love. So, was your father abusive? You have a heavenly father who is kind. Was your father distant? Jesus reveals a heavenly father who's close. Was your father constantly disappointed in you? Jesus reveals a father who is satisfied. Was your father absent? Jesus reveals a father who's here. Was your relationship with your father good? Jesus reveals a relationship with your heavenly father that's better than your wildest imagination. Your relationship with him will never end because Isaiah told us he's an everlasting forever father. Let's thank him for that. Our Father, we thank you that in a variety of ways, through many different instruments, you have revealed yourself throughout human history, but that in these last days in which we are privileged to live, you have revealed yourself through your Son, 
who is the radiance of your glory and the exact imprint of your nature. We thank you for those of us who are Christians this morning that you have magnetically pulled us down that path towards Jesus who is the way, the truth, and the life. And we rejoice in the fact that not one of us will ever be lost. That you don't just put up with a relationship with us. That you sent your son specifically so that you could have a relationship with people like us. May we not lose the wonder of that. If there's somebody here who has not experienced the love of their Heavenly Father, I pray that you would draw them to yourself in this moment. Pull them. Give them faith to believe the good news of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.